The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. And effective immediately, all military establishments on the home front will give senior non-commissioned officers command training with full responsibility and authority. There it is. I can't believe this. This order is insane, absolutely insane. It is signed Adolf Hitler. Insane yet sane. <laughs> Excuse me, General. What does it mean? All Luftstalags will begin command training at once. Now, who is your senior non-commissioned officer? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. I can't say it. You're in a lot of trouble. No. Lot of trouble. Do you expect me to turn over the command of the most escape-proof POW camp in all of Germany to him? It is so ordered by the Führer. General, perhaps he didn't feel so well on that day. Could you ask him to change his mind? Schultz will assume command at once. Clank. You will act as advisor. Hmm. How can I advise a man who's asleep on his feet most of the time? I need a lot of rest. He even sleeps on guard duty. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if someone came along and threw a horse blanket over him. You'll do it, Schultz. Excuse me, General, but I'm only a sergeant. Who should be a private? In somebody else's army. There is no choice in this matter. Morning, London. It's Thursday, August 7th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. 519-661-3600, the number to call, as always, or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Today on the show, if you couldn't tell from the opening, which I don't think you probably could, our actual theme today is about entertainment and television. And in fact, I'm going to be talking about the Big Bang Theory at the last part of the show, and I have a few other theories attached to that, and including the Big Bucks Theory, the Binge Bang Theory, and we're going to be talking about dead-end endings to various shows. And in fact, I've kind of redesigned and rewritten the ending to the series Hogan's Heroes that I want to tell you about later in the show. And to begin off with, we want to talk about changing patterns in television viewing. You know, just this morning I heard an article or a, a comment on a radio station saying that Bravo is introducing a new television show that almost touches upon the theme of what I'm talking about today. And they're going to call it The People's Couch. And believe it or not, it's a show about we're going to be watching people watching TV. Do you think that show is going to make it? I'm not too sure. But it uh, be interesting to see. Now, every once in a while during the course of our ongoing broadcasts of Just Right, I've always hinted that someday I plan to talk a little bit more about some of the many television shows and movies from which we've selected various audio bites to help illustrate some of the topics and themes we raise on the show. 
Well, finally, this being the doldrums of the summer months, uh, I thought I'd take this opportunity to make some of my own personal recommendations about a handful of TV shows and films. I'd hoped to cover, like, dozens of them, but when, when I started doing the research, you know, this is how the show kind of comes together. For example, this past Monday holiday, I found myself binge-filing all of my arts and entertainment news clippings and other miscellaneous files that find their way into various category topics that I basically stole from the National Post many years ago. I call the big, the overall topic Hollywood, etc. And my other subcategories would be things like oh, movies, TV shows, arts and commentary, comics and games, and technology relating to any of these other topics just mentioned. Now, I have to confess, uh, I was about two years behind on this particular filing task, but it was the very act of forcing myself through this binge filing process, while I was also binge-watching the Big Bang Theory, which we'll be discussing in much more detail in our final quarter of the show today. But it was this very act of filing all these various categories that essentially created our theme for today's show, which is all about television and the people who watch it and sometimes the people who don't watch it, and how we watch it. And in the midst of our theme today, I'll try to toss in a few of my own television recommendations. I'd love to list down dozens, but that just wouldn't be practical, given that I only have an hour to work with. You know, Robert and I in the past have discussed many times about the changing patterns in television and, and how we find ourselves lately not watching one show a week, but sitting down and watching a string of them, which apparently is called binge-watching didn't know this was a newsworthy item until I started sorting all of these files and I discover a running story here and, and what an interesting one. Uh, got most of these articles from Jim Slotek of uh, the London Free Press. First one from the June 24, 24th, 2013. Now this is last summer, not this summer, in which he wrote an article called To Binge or Not to Binge. And in his commentary on binge-watching, Slotek points out that his first experience with the practice occurred when he took advantage of Air Canada's back-of-the-seat in-flight entertainment system, where he could watch several episodes of a single show while in flight from one location to his destination. He was surprised by how quickly and easily he could get through an entire show when just watching them one after the other, or as he uses the term, binge-watching. And he writes, and I quote, After a lifetime of watching TV in bite-sized narrative chunks, fed to us by networks and interspersed with ads, I find it weird and a little disconcerting to be watching a TV series for four solid hours as if it were Dances with Wolves or Bertolucci's 1900. When I was recently assigned the six-part crackling British sci-fi conspiracy thriller Utopia, I only intended to watch the first episode that night. Bianca, I assume that's his wife, insisted we watch more and more. When we'd watched five episodes, I put my foot down and insisted we save the finale for the next day. It was a good decision. I was able to take in the resolution of a complex plot with something closer to fresher eyes, he says. More and more people watch TV this way, I find, and very often it's a couple's routine. But there are hazards. And here with binge viewing, he lists five reasons why and five reasons why not to binge watch TV. See if any of these apply to you. Here are the five reasons why you would do it. 
And he says, number one, he says, really, who decided for us that our attention span for comedy is 22 minutes and for drama, 44? You could watch three episodes of of Game of Thrones in the time it takes Michael Bay to tell one robot fighting story. And number two, he says, why keep us hanging? If a particularly gripping episode of some series leaves you dying to find out what happens next, it seems cruel to be made to to wait a week, or in the case of some cable series, months. Number three, it makes it easier to keep track of series that are crowded with characters. There are characters in the Game of Thrones that seem to have not turned up in months. Did they get killed and I missed it? And four... You don't miss anything. It's no secret that the last decade and the advent of PBRs and full-season access has coughed up more series like Lost, where if you miss a single episode, you're, well, lost. In 5, he writes, Hey, it's summer. What's the alternative? The Bachelorette or reruns of How I Met Your Mother? And then he he adds in brackets, Yeah, I know, you could read. Don't be a wise guy. And then in his list of why not to binge watch, he lists five reasons. One is spoilers. He says, See a season that aired three years ago, and your chances of encountering spoilers increases exponentially. And he says, it's, it, you know, if it's a 20-year-old show like Twin Peaks, <laughs> he says, let me save you to trouble. And he wanted to give a spoiler re- alert, but I, I'm not going to go there. I was, I was advised not to because it might spoil the show for someone who wants to watch that. Uh, tropes and glitches. Binge on a show that's normally seen episodically, and repetition will show itself. It's true. If, you hear, if they do a routine in each episode, you start really becoming aware of it when you're watching them one after another. And he says, and if the series you're watching deteriorates, it's unfair to the good episodes to watch them along the later, uh, you know, lamer ones. Number three, if it's not a solo activity, you must stay in sync. If your spouse gets an episode or two ahead, you have to wait until he or she is out of the house to play catch-up. Four, the death of water cooler talk. There was so much shushing going on in our office the week after the Red Wedding episode of Game of Thrones... I thought our hermetically sealed building had sprung a noisy leak. So what do we talk about now? The weather? And five, it's just too much TV at once. I described one such session to my wife as, quote, like eating until I throw up, end quote. Slowtech then recommended, uh, or recommends binge-worthy five older series that deserve the marathon treatment, and his choices are, well, number one, Lost, number two, Firefly, three, Twin Peaks, four, 24, and five, The Prisoner. Now, of those five, I have to say, I've, the only one I haven't seen is 24, believe it or not, but I don't know if I can ever force myself to rewatch Lost, given its cop-out ending, about which I will say a little more later in the show. Another interesting article here. This is from Metro News, uh, June 12, 2013, again from last summer. And the headline read, What's an average TV binge? And apparently it is four episodes in a row. Subheading glued to the couch marathon viewing is transform- a transformational trend in the television industry. Canadians' growing appetite for binging on episodes on their favorite TV shows represents a major trend that's shaking up the industry, says Rogers, which released the results of an online poll back on June 11, 2013. In the survey of 1,275 Canadians conducted by Head Research, viewers were asked how many episodes of a show they went through consecutively during a binge-watching session on a weekend or on a weeknight. 
The average during the week was four straight episodes and 4.6 on weekends. Not, not a big change. David Purdy Rogers, senior vice president of content, said binge viewing is a major trend and the company is paying close attention to it, noting that young people in particular have been identified as big fans of marathon viewing. And uh, finally, on this part, you know, you can imagine my surprise when on May 26th of this year, 2014, I saw a full-page London Free Press article accompanied by a quarter-page photo of Terry Hatcher and Dean Cain as Lois and Clark, which was one of my favorite 90s television series and still one of the most watchable and fun versions of Superman. We've talked about that one on the show in the past, and I certainly would recommend it to anyone. If you haven't seen it before, if you're not a Superman fan, this might be the one that gets to you. It's a different spin on Superman. It doesn't, doesn't so much do the Superman thing as the relationship thing. But the headline on that article read, Gone Too Soon, and this, too, was written by Jim Slotek, in which he lamented the television shows on which the plug was pulled too soon. The ten shows that were accompanying the article with photos included, of course, Lois and Clark, Carnival, Heroes, Law and Order, Terminator, uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, by the way, excellent show, I've talked about that, too, Deadwood, Twin Peaks, Pushing Daisies, Daisies, and finally Community, which actually didn't get so much canceled and moved over uh, to a streaming network. So, But in the text portion of his article, he mentioned some that might not have come to mind on first glance, and he writes, It wasn't until the late 70s that series finales entered the public consciousness. I Love Lucy never aired a finale where Lucy divorced Desi and went to work for Theodore J. Mooney. In fact, the 60s were rife with shows that should have demanded a finale. They just ended. The castaways in Gilligan's Island never got off the island. They, they did in later TV movies, but always ended up back on it, a hilarious gag that would later be stolen by Lost. Similarly, Lost in Space remained Lost in Space. The Robinson family never made it back to Earth, meaning they would continue to encounter aliens that resembled floor lamps covered in shag carpeting. Terrible special effects there. On My Favorite Martian, Uncle Martin, played by Ray Walston, never made it back to Mars. The Beverly Hillbillies remained in Beverly Hills, untouched by cityways. And Star Trek never finished its five-year mission. I Dream of Jeannie sort of had a finale season, a jump, the shark affair where Major Nelson finally married the genie in the bottle. And so he had a wife who called him master. He said, Mar marriage has really changed lately. But there was no farewell episode. By the way, those last couple of seasons of I Dream of Jeannie were, were oh, they were terrible, whereas the first few were pretty funny. And he writes, The Fugitive broke the mold on August 29, 1967, when after four seasons, Richard Kimball, played by David Jansen, finally caught up to his wife's murderer, the one-armed man. But despite the huge ratings for that episode, finales didn't become a network thing for a decade or more. Mainly the Mary Tyler Moore show, MASH, the Bob Newhart show, to be notable. Meanwhile, the end of the season hatchet continued to leave storylines dangling, particularly on series that dared to end their seasons with cliffhangers. And that's an issue Robert and I have discussed many times on this show. He writes, it's ironic that Robin Williams, the crazy ones, is one of this season's casualties. The last time Williams was on TV in Mork and Mindy, the series ended with a cliffhanger, with Mork and Mindy being flung through a time vortex by an evil alien. 
for the conclusion to this exciting episode, tune in uh, never. <laughs> and, and finally, another one by Jim Slotek saying, beginning of the end, more and more it seems that limited series with clear conclusions are making a return to television. And he notes on July 9th, 2013, again a year ago, Today, the new buzzword is limited series, and Stephen King's 13-episode Under the Dome is Exhibit A. Here's a timeline of minis and estimated peak viewership. Some amazing ones here. Roots, that was put up by ABC in 1977, had 100 million viewers. Jesus of Nazareth, NBC, 1977, 45 million. The Thorn Birds by ABC, 1983, 80 million. The Winds of War, ABC, 1983, 75 million. Lonesome Dove, CBS, 1989, 40 million. Band of Brothers, PBS, 2001, 10 million. John Adams, the HBO 2008 series, 2.7 million. You notice how the numbers are getting lower as the time moves on, with a few exceptions. Titanic, NBC, 2012, 2 million. Hatfields and McCoys, History Channel, 2012, 13.9 million. And The Bible in 20, uh, on the History Channel in 2013, 13.1 million. Haven't seen a lot of those. I did see John Adams, an excellent series, played some great clips from it on this show as well. And he says, is there some comfort in knowing that your favorite show will come to a natural end, or are we still tied to an expectation of having it carry on indefinitely? There's a lot of money being bet on the former, he says. So, from binge-watching to no-ending finale to limited series, we'll move on to dead-end endings when we return from this other break for a smile. Oh, dear. Penny, have you been recording shows on our DVR again? No. You answer honestly, this is not a trial. <laughs> That'll come later. Absolutely not. Help me out here, I can't afford another demerit. <laughs> uh, maybe we were hacked. You know, the Chinese have been hacking everything lately. Why would the Chinese make our DVR record Paul Blart Mall Cop? <laughs> I don't know. It's a fat guy on a Segway. That's funny everywhere. I'm deleting it. Well, hang on. Maybe the Chinese haven't finished watching it yet. You know, if you're trying to make space on the DVR, why don't you just get rid of some of the stuff you've already watched? Like, uh, Alphas. No, that's the season two finale. That was quite the cliffhanger. I'm gonna re-watch it before season three starts. There is no season three. They canceled that show. <laughs> Well, they can't cancel it. It ended on a cliffhanger. I did. Uh, Sheldon, there are two dumplings left. Do you want them? Dumplings? Don't you understand what's going on here? As a rule, no. That show ended with all the residents of New York either dead or unconscious. Oh, now I'll never know what happened. Well, why don't you make up your own ending? Oh, sure. We had a wonderful idea. Yeah, after that, I'll make up my own rules of oral hygiene. Yeah, instead of flossing, I'll rub pudding on my gums. No, I'm gonna get the number of the Sci-Fi Channel and give them what for. Oh, please don't do that. But no, they can't just cancel a show like Alphas. You know, they have to help the viewers let go. Yeah, Firefly did a movie to wrap things up. Buffy the Vampire Slayer continued on as a comic book. Heroes gradually lowered the quality season by season till we were grateful it ended. <laughs> I feel bad for whoever gets that phone call. I uh, don't. If they didn't want to be yelled at by crazy nerds, they shouldn't have started a sci-fi channel.
Hello, Sci-Fi Network. Yeah, this is your vice president of programming. <laughs> now, we have made a horrible mistake regarding alphas. Yeah, we need to uncancel it immediately. Well, you just put me through to the people who handle that. You tell them it's me. And yeah, I don't want to answer a lot of questions about if I really am who I say I am. You know? no, I just, I want this done. Yeah, no, I am not the person who just called. And that man was clearly a cowboy. Yeah, who was plum concerned about y'all canceling his favorite show. Why do they keep hanging up on me? Sorry you're upset. You know, Sheldon, Sometimes people seek the comfort of physical contact in moments like this. I am not flying back to Texas just so my mom can give me a hug. Okay, well, what I think is going on here is you have a pathological need for closure. Oh, that's nonsense. I mean, you tell me stories about your day all the time. I don't care how they end. Be able to help you with this. There's a whole field of behavioral neuroscience that examines ways to retrain your neural pathways so stuff like this bothers you less. Yeah, but I just told you, I don't have a problem with closure. You sure about that? Oh, quite sure. <laughs> that proves nothing. <laughs> what a funny show. Interesting article by Steve Tilley in the April 4th, 2014 Free Press called Dead Ends. And I have to confess that I you know, don't know exactly what he was specifically referring to when he wrote this first part, because I never watched the show he's talking about, which is How I Met Your Mother. But it goes like this. He says, so that's how we met their mother? Are you freaking kidding me? More like how I screwed up this show's ending and played devoted fans for fools. Am I right? Series finale, Rage, isn't uncommon, and the latest show to taste viewers' wrath is the long-running CBS sitcom How I Met Your Mother, which wrapped up this week in a way that had many fans crying cop-out. But when it comes to controversial finales, How I Met Your Mother is in good company. And he lists ten shows, can't get to all of them, but among them he, he includes Dexter, Lost. Uh, now, he has a rage gauge. Some are good and bad. And New Heart, Battlestar Galactica, The X-Files, uh, The Sopranos. Now, of course, he said uh, Dexter wins the top gauge with a four out of five, uh, four point five out of five for being really mad at it. He says only the fact that Dexter had already been in decline for years mitigated the foulness of the finale. He gives Lost a three out of five on his rage gauge with his comment: "While some fans were genuinely angry, most just seemed confused or disappointed. But that show never really spelled out what was going on." Well. On Lost, count me among the severely disappointed. This is me talking now. I wasn't confused. My personal rage gauge on Lost is a 5 out of 5 on the ending of that series. And if you want the whole history of this, you'll have to go way back to Just Right episode number 9, June 14, 2007, when I presented my own Lost theory. I recall saying there and then and that if the series should end in the obvious, namely that the island residents are all really dying or, or in fact dead, then that would totally spoil the series and betray the intelligence 
intelligence of the audience. My theory on Lost was way better, I thought, uh, namely that the residents of of the island were really psychi- in a psychiatric ward in a hospital, for which plenty of evidence was presented up to that point. I think that was about second season I was in then, and would have kept audiences talking about the series long after it was dead and gone. Best ending of a television show has to be Bob Newhart, who scores a lowest rating with a 1 out of 5, and I wholeheartedly agree. One of the most brilliant and funny endings for a TV show ever. It was an ending that depended upon the audience's knowledge of Bob Newhart's previous show. And speaking of whom, uh, I just saw Newhart in a very recent episode of The Big Bang Theory, and it was still very funny. Which now brings me to the first TV series I'd like to personally recommend to you, especially if you've never seen it before. A friend of mine actually told me you can watch it on YouTube of all places. It aired in the 60s and is one of the finest shows brought to the small screen. It's one of those shows that doesn't date itself. It stands on its own merit and will never date itself with respect to the period in which it was produced. It was, after, it was after all, about a group of World War II prisoners holed up in Stalag 13 on the brilliant and fun to watch. Hogan's Heroes. We've bored a lot of audio bites from that show over the years, and that's because the show was much more than a simple comedy. It actually had a greater serious plot line, which completely overcame the silly parts of the show, and it had character development, moral lessons, and a great performance by all the cast members. I thought in a lot of ways the show was a lot like MASH, but I think MASH appears actually a little more dated as a 70s series when you watch it in 2014 than Hogan's Heroes as a 60s series watch today. Hogan's Heroes could have been filmed today. It's one of those shows that I always find watchable as the kind of TV you can relax by. Actors John Banner and Werner Klempler brilliantly played the fools, the Sergeant Schultz and Colonel Klink, respectively. And there was a consistency and quality to the script writing from the very first episode of the six-season series right up to the last episode, the finale, which we were just talking about moments ago. If you were just to watch the last episode of Hogan's Heroes as a standalone, you'd never know it was the last one. It never ended it. It never had a finale. But you also wouldn't have been left with any parts of any storyline unfinished. So it's certainly not with any negative criticism of Hogan's Heroes that I thought I'd offer my own finale to the series had I given, been given the opportunity to write it. You know, throughout the whole series, Hogan and the other prisoners in Stalag 13 seemed to get away with stuff that just stretched one's suspension of disbelief a bit to the limit. Also, with some regularity throughout the series, the Gestapo and various other Nazi military commanders and officers found themselves at Stalag 13 investigating Hogan and his band of merry men, but they never seemed to find any direct evidence with which to catch him in the act, thanks mostly to the seemingly bungling and ineptitude or downright complicity of Colonel Clink and Sergeant Schultz. So what I have to suggest here is not without some firm grounds for proposing as a great ender to the series had finales been the order of the day back in the 60s when Hogan's Heroes was broadcast. There was already some evidence and some precedent within the series to support what I'm about to suggest, including, among other things, our discovery during the course of the show that before the war broke out in Germany, the character of Schultz was a wealthy and well-known manufacturer of children's toys. When Klink finds out, he tries to get Schultz to give him a job after the war is over. But here's how the plot and theme of Hogan's Heroes finale would have gone had I written the script. As the final episode progresses, we discover that the true mastermind behind turning Stalag 13 into a center of sabotage against the Nazis turns out to be 
Sergeant Schultz himself. And I think that John Banner as Sergeant Schultz could have pulled it off beautifully, especially given what we'll be hearing from that in a moment or two. Hogan and his band of merry men discover that the reason they got away with so much of their espionage efforts was because Schultz was covering their backs all along. The last line could have been Schultz looking at Hogan in the face and saying something like, Colonel Hogan, did you really believe that I knew nothing, saw nothing, and heard nothing? (laughs) I think an ending along those lines would have made for a classic ending to Hogan's Heroes that viewers wouldn't forget for years. A lot like the Newhart Ender that had an unexpected twist to the plot with their finale episode. So without much further ado, in the following audio bite from Hogan's Heroes, the usually lovable and cuddly and teddy bear-like Sergeant Schultz, who is best known to be completely incompetent in his post, is temporarily given command of Stalag 13 due to a mandatory military training exercise. And that was the scene we heard in our opener today, and here's how it finished. Congratulations, Air Commandant. Colonel Hogan, I'm afraid. I don't know how to command. Oh, there's nothing to it, Schultz. Come on, strong, act big. Bigger than I am? (laughs) Well, let's not get into science fiction. Come on, Schultz. What are you worried about? I'm not an officer, like Clink. Go on, you're twice the man he is. Maybe three times. (laughs) Suppose the prisoners disobey my orders. I'll guarantee they'll obey. Schultz, don't you realize sergeants run every army? They do? Well, of course. You know all the details of a military operation. You have all the information. I have? Now, here's your chance to use that special knowledge. You're right, Colonel. <laughs> Report! All present are accounted for, Herr Commandant. Let's hear it for bloody old Schultz. The next man who opens his mouth will get three days in the cooler. Any questions? Commandant Schultz, I have a question, sir. Put your hands up. Forget it. So you asked the question. I didn't mean it. You will learn in time. <laughs> now, attention! Prisoners, I am your new commandant. In case you have any idea of escaping, forget it. I've ordered the patrols outside the gate to be doubled with orders to shoot, to kill. <laughs> oh. Attention! Dismiss! How about that? Our own private crowd has turned on us. It will be a cold day when I give him any more strudel. He's an odd case under all that plumber. He's everywhere at once. No matter what we do, we run up against that big wall of flab. He's turned into a flipping Frankenstein. That's what he is. No, Schultz is taller and a, a lot heavier. There's only one consolation. He'd be back to Sergeant in less than a week. It's a trouble. He might not be. What? Krauts need officers on the fighting front. This could be Hitler's way of breaking the news. Schultz? The commandant permanently? Possibility. Unless we do something about it. Like what? Discredit him. Put the pressure on. Make him look bad. Just not possible. Ah, oh, 
Schulze, comment ça va, hein? How's it going, Schulze? All right? It is customary to rise when the commandant of the Luftstalag enters and to call the commandant. Commandant! Do us a favor, it's only us. Remember me? I'm your strudel connection. I'm your feet! Looks like you've had uh, quite a morning, Mr. Spiegelman. Taking on an armored car, single-handed, no weapons. It's very ambitious for a man of your uh, uh, vintage. I'm on a new vitamin regimen. Can I get you something? Water? No, I'm fine. Okay. So the arresting officer says that uh, you tried to wrestle the money bag out of the security guard's hand, and then you got tired and had to sit on the curb. He was stronger than he looked. It was exciting while it lasted, though. Oh. Uh, listen, man, you're 87 years old, and this is your first offense. What happened? You blow your retirement on strippers and blood thinners? You ever live in a nursing home, son? Everyone just sitting around waiting to die? Well, not me. I was an accountant for 30 years, married for 50. I'm done playing it safe. I'm going to live before I die. You think a nursing home is boring? Wait till you try prison, man. Mr. Know-it-all. Wait till you're 65. You can't pee. Forget about taking a decent crap or having an erection that doesn't start with a pill. Trust me, it's better to die young. Okay. Hey, can I uh, talk to you for one sec? Just hang on. Yeah, we can't put this guy in jail. Why not? He's a criminal. He's 87 years old. He's not going to last 10 seconds in there. I know, that's his problem. Sit down. Armed robbery. Court Street Jewelers. One dead. Assault with a deadly weapon. 16 Mott Street. You can stop. I get it. No, you don't get it. So you think crime is fun, a thrill. Well, it's not. It's terrifying. For the victims, criminals, and for the cops. I notice you never take off the vest and use that antibacterial stuff all the time. You know what you remind me of? Me. 30 years playing it safe, driving the speed limit. My wife wanted to travel. But all I could think of was, what if the plane crashes? What if we get diarrhea? So, we never went anywhere, never did anything. Look, you don't know me. You don't know my reasons. Oh, we all have reasons, son. The bottom line is there's only one way to live, and that's all the way. If you die, you die. Because I promise you, when you're my age, you'll ask yourself, what the hell did I play it safe for? Hey, look. Look. You got a problem with your life? The way you lived it? That's your business. But you break the law. That's my business. You want to take a risk? Do it to help someone. Try to make the world a better place before you go. Don't... You know what? That's it. I've had it. Let's go. I'm done with you. Get up. Let's go. 
And that was from the short-lived series, The Unusuals, one of my favorite television series. I was down with sick with the flu the month before last, and I got a chance to binge watch The Unusuals again for the second time. And I realize now it gave me an entirely different perspective on the show than when I watched it piecemeal, even though I, I enjoyed it then, too. Personally, I think that binge watching, when you choose to do it, actually helps improve your enjoyment of what you're watching, so long as you don't exceed your maximum watching limit, which each of us has. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I don't read fiction books unless I'm on a holiday uninterrupted is because I can't put the book down until I finish it from cover to cover. Otherwise, that book won't get read. And worse, if I read it in chunks with large time intervals in between, I can't always remember what the plot, characters, and mood of the book was. I just can't pick up in the middle. But this time, the experience was quite different, more like the experience of reading a novel. And and more importantly, I noticed how the characters and the changing storylines and the mood of the show created that necessary longer-term consistency and character development that I would simply not have noticed had I watched them one or two per week or, you know, some longer period. Always fun to watch. I found the unusuals went just about anywhere with its array of weird cases. And uh, actually, this show ran in April of 2009 to June of 2009. It was just a summer show, and there's only 10 episodes, so it's not really a long series to have to binge watch. And it concerns a group of police officers who each bring their own brand of personal baggage, including a few phobias, to the job, and they have to deal with it. And subject matter that ranged from the outright hilarious to the very serious and even sad, sometimes mixing it all with a single stroke. Yet I found the end of each episode, especially as they progressed, to be amazingly uplifting. This is a show that always left me with a good feeling at the end and and a positive sense of life, even if something tragic happened in the episode. It would often leave you emotionally, what's that word Steve Garrison likes to use at CJBK? Verklempt, you know, that that, that feeling uh, of emotional welling, you know, mostly of happiness, of joy. That's how it it went because these were characters I actually began to care about, even the relatively unlikable ones. Each each actor never stepped out of character. I began to think of that word as care actor, you know? Can the actors actually make you care about them and about the stories and the, and the roles they're playing? Definitely, this was a show about friendships, leadership, team building, and caring about each other despite their extremely differing backgrounds and personal issues. Check it out. It's called The Unusuals. And another one that falls into this category that I should just have enough time for in this quarter of the show was another a show we mentioned before. We mentioned both of these before in passing and, in, 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 you know, summary issues when we talk about them. And that is Moonlight, which only has 16 episodes. And uh, it ran just a few years ago, I think in 2006-ish, if I'm not mistaken, maybe. Oh, sorry. Fall of 7 to spring of 08. That's when it was. And although this one could have left us hanging for the ending, they wrapped it up very neatly, giving the, given the one-season run. And like The Unusuals, um, Moonlight was a series that always took unexpected twists and turns and didn't drag out unresolved conflicts or tensions forever and ever. 
starring Alex O'Glaughlin as Mick St. John. You'll know him. He now appears as McGarrett in the new Hawaii 5.0 series. Sophia Miles as Beth Turner. Shannon Sossaman as Coraline. And Jason Doring as Joseph. An excellent cast for a genre of fiction that really isn't my cup of tea. And that's vampire themes. Not my thing, but this show I'd watch anytime. Again, this is another show I enjoyed far more the second time round as I watched it binge style. There was a down-to-earth practical sense of reality to Moonlight, and very little of that artsy-fartsy dragged-out vampires sucking blood scenes or other such distractions. Moonlight was more like a show about a detective and a reporter who were working on missing persons and crime cases, and the rest was more of a backdrop, almost like Lois and Clark was handled, except both of them were reporters, of course. But of course, uh, the big, big, bigger arch story in Moonlight is the budding romance between Mick St. John, the vampire, and Beth Turner, the star reporter, that develops from the very beginning of the show right down to its final moment. And I couldn't believe that they could wrap up the series with such a tight knot in those last few minutes. I couldn't see how they were, they were going to end it satisfactorily, but they did. And what I especially liked about the show was that it never kept you dangling. Not just about the ending to the show, but about plot development and advancement. You know, you have all those situations, you're waiting for something to resolve, and it almost gets resolved, but not, and then it goes on and on. In fact, I first expected that one of the show's gimmicks would be to keep Mick St. John's secret, namely that he is a vampire, from Beth Turner, who who was both his love interest and his interest of a far more involved personal nature that's just an awesome story. But no, the heroine discovers the vampire's secret that he is a vampire right from the beginning of the one-season series, by the end of the second episode, in fact. And that was a signal to me that this story was not going to be stagnant or standing still. And to be sure, the plot and theme kept changing at a lightning pace, kept you going. And that is why this following conversation was already taking place in the third episode of Moonlight. Beth. Okay, I'm he- I'm here to talk to you about um you. Maybe you should come in. I really need you to tell me that I didn't see what I saw, what I think I saw the other night. The blood, the fangs. I heard what you said. That I'm a vampire. How am I supposed to... Are, are you the only one, or are, are there other vampires? A few hundred here in L.A. How can people not know you exist? We're extremely careful. Sometimes people see things, but they dismiss it. How can they? Or no one believes them. People have been hunting us for thousands of years. So it's extremely important that no one knows we exist. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So do you bite people's necks and suck the blood out? Actually, I, I get most of my blood from a blood bank. Oh. The Red Cross does not mention that in their literature. I don't think they know. Do you, do you know how crazy this is? I'm trying really hard to wrap my mind around what you just said and what I saw. Hey, I get it. It's a lot to get. So how does a person even become a vampire? How did you become a vampire? Mick? 
I'm sorry. I can't, not. I'm sorry, you gotta go. Were you bitten by another vampire? Is that how it works? One minute you're Mick the human, and the next you're Mick the vampire? Another time. What was it like? Another time. American Physics Journal on super solids. It's pretty interesting. This guy's working from a hypothesis. Well, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! What? Don't ruin it for me, man. I printed out a PDF to read on the potty. On the potty? What are you, five? It's a potty. What do you call it? Toilet. That's a little vulgar for the dinner table, don't you think? Oh, and potty is okay? Potty's innocent. Potty's adorable. What do you do in the potty? Wee wee? If I don't have to boom boom. Greetings. Uh, you all remember Amy Farrah Fowler? Sure. Nice Hello. Sorry we're late. I must take responsibility. I had to stop for feminine hygiene supplies. Ah, okay. Hi. I believe she's experiencing her menzies. Actually, I'm not. In order to avoid surprises, I wear them all the time. Ah, okay. <laughs> Toilet sounding pretty good now, huh? Hey, look, it's Shamey. Shamey? A juvenile amalgamation of our names. Sheldon, Amy, Shamey. Oh, I don't like that. Don't do that. <laughs> Alrighty, what's new? Well, just recently I learned that you refer to us as Shamey, and I don't like that. Uh, I got it, but what I was going for was, you know, how's your life? Like everybody else's, subject to entropy, decay, and eventual death. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Why is she not taking our order? I should have warned you, one has to navigate a labyrinth of social nonsense before one can be fed here. Really? I assumed an establishment called the Cheesecake Factory would function more efficiently. It's how they lure you in. I believe it's called bait and switch. Okay, I'm just gonna walk away, because I don't want to be here. So this is nice. First time we've all gotten together to eat. You're right, he's a festival of humdrum chit-chat. Okay, that's all I got. Howard, you're up. Um, tell us about your work, Amy. I doubt you'd understand. Sheldon tells me you only have a master's degree. Raj, do you have any questions for Amy? I'm curious as to why we're not eating alone. They can't function without me. I'm the social glue that holds this little group together. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what a funny show. The Big Bang Theory is one of those shows that, well, I was only peripherally aware of until my binge-watching experience over the past few weeks, where, believe it or not, I've been able to watch from the start well into... I'm just starting the seventh season now, which is the last season before the new one that's about to start. A great show with brilliant scripts, and each episode seems to go by so fast it barely feels like it even got started before it's all over, which makes it an easy show to binge watch. But I have to tell you, I definitely cannot agree with Jim Slotek's July 2nd, 2013, uh, 2013 a year ago, a London Free Press column called Big Bang Weary, in with, in, with the subheader Fix It or Nix It. 
Slotek's complaint was that the show had developed and that the characters have developed beyond the point at which the show started. And I'm thinking, well, what kind of criticism is that? Slotek's complaint is my compliment to the producers of the show. It's still funny, despite the fact that the show and characters have moved on from the positions in which the series began. But here's what uh, Jim Slotek wrote as the basis of his fix-it or nix-it theme. He writes, uh, when the show started, he notes, quote, the premise was solidly funny, with four socially maladroit academics, Leonard, Raj, Howard, and of course Sheldon, whose connection to the opposite sex was theoretical at best, and into whose life fell an attractive waitress wannabe actress named Penny who barely finished high school. And now, well, the gang of lovable losers we all cheered for has now seen way more action in the audience that used to laugh at their social misadventures. So let's just say it. These guys are no longer hopeless geeks. As far as the vibe of the show goes, it's analogous to when Archie Bunker stopped being a bigot. As a result, the Big Bang Theory is no longer funny, he writes. The gang are no longer fish out of water in normal social situations. It may be time to call a halt to this social experiment masquerading as a sitcom. After all, it's not like we won't be able to watch the older, funny episodes virtually any time we want, any day of the week, end quote. Well, personally, I feel exactly the opposite of that. If the gang had remained exactly the same in the seventh season as in the first season, I think the gag would have worn off a long time ago, don't you think? Uh, You know, it's always a risk to let your main characters form relationships that were the source of the tension for the show when those relationships were unresolved. But if you can do it, all the better. But I I can't help wondering that if I had watched The Big Bang Theory on a week-by-week basis, one episode at a time, if I would feel the same as I do now. Maybe I'd feel more like Jim did. In, In the short span of time that I've been able to watch the show, I was actually impressed by how the greater story actually moved on and didn't remain stagnant. But then I'm I'm one of those people who liked both versions of MASH, the one where Henry Blake was the commander and the one where Colonel Potter took over his place. I have a lot of friends that can't stand one or the other, but do like the other one. And every time a new character entered that show, I thought it breathed new life into the series as the dynamics kept continually changing. And that's exactly what's been happening to the Big Bang Theory. And I think finally Jim Slotek figured that out. And I have to hand it to him to own up to his error in judgment on this when on September 26, 2013, shortly after that last one, he wrote a follow-up column on the show headlined, Females Mean More Buck for Bang Gang. That's bang gang, not gang bang, for those with dyslexia. On that date, he wrote, and I quote, recently, I said I missed the old vibe of the Big Bang Theory, in which Leonard Sheldon and the gang made their way bravely in a world where girls were an impossible dream. Something seemed wrong, I wrote, now that the characters on the show got more action than anyone watching it. Boy, was I on the wrong side of that reader's poll. So let me now say something nice about the women of the Big Bang Theory, he writes. Going into season one, there's no way you'd have thought the show with this much with this much beta male frustration could introduce some of the funniest, most colorful female characters on any sitcom. I speak of Dr. Amy Farrah Fowler, played by Mayim uh, Bialik, Bialik, I think, and Bernadette Rostenkowski, uh, Melissa Ranch, two actors who've taken the girlfriend trope and ran with it to the point of indispensability. 
How value is their contribution? Between last season and season seven's debut on CTV and CBS, the two actors reportedly negotiated their mid twenty thousand dollar an episode contract up to sixty thousand dollars per per episode. But or by the end of the contract, it will hit six figures. Top earners are still Emmy-winning Jim Parsons, Sheldon, Kaylee Cuoco, Penny, Johnny uh, Galecki, Leonard, Simon Helberg, Howard, and Kunal Nayar, who plays Raj, all of whom are said to be looking for a half million each per episode after this season, end quote. Now, let's remember this article was written in 2013, and as we all know, and as of only a day or two ago, they actually each got something closer to a cool total million dollars per episode, which makes slow tech next comment all the more relevant and which I'm sure is a question in the minds of many. He writes, I'm not even sure how a show could hand out that much per episode and turn a profit. Then he answers his own question, though he didn't really ask it as an interrogative. On the other hand, he says, in most markets the Big Bang Theory is on some channel or another seemingly at all hours of the day, end quote. And that's the secret, I think. The long-term investment, syndication, reruns, re-reruns, that's what both saved and created the whole Star Trek franchise because the original series, originally launched by Desi Lu Productions, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz way back when, a history we discussed somewhat extensively on this show in the past, that show never turned a profit until it went into syndication globally and became a money-making hit that exceeded all expectations. Uh, now back to the women characters on Big Bang, concludes Jim Slotek in his closing remarks on the show's new characters. He comments, if the women in the show are doing more of the comedic heavy lifting, there's a danger in all this breaking up and getting back together and breaking up. That is, that the show could morph from a show about misanthropic geniuses into friends with comic book references. Whatever, he says, I'll be watching, end quote. And so will I, the next time I get a chance to binge-watch catch-up. The news was already out by December of last year that the cast of Big Bang Theory wanted a million bucks per episode, and once again, Jim Slotek's full-page cover on the front of the Free Press Today section carried the headline, The Big Buck Theory. In in which you can find the relative earnings of various actors in various television shows, along with a history of actor salary negotiations and consequences, both positive and negative. For example, he notes that Seinfeld, when he pulled the plug on his show, was offered $5 million per episode to keep it going, and he said no. Then there were the deals that never happened, like Three's company Suzanne Summers, who held out for more money in season five of that show, only to be let go and replaced by Jenna Lee Harrison, who played Chrissy's cousin Cindy. And then there, there were the deals where the actors actually took a pay cut, as with Dan Cast, uh, Castellaneta, Harry Shearer, Julie Kavner, Nancy Cartwright, Yardley Smith, and Hank Azaria, who all took a 30% pay cut to keep The Simpsons going in 2011. So as you can see, there's a real risk factor involved, which makes for great drama and sometimes comedy outside of the show, right? And by the way, in case you're wondering, as of December 3rd, 2013, when Slow Tech reported this in his article, the advertising revenue for the Big Bang Theory was running at around $625,000 a minute. And Slotek continues his article by pointing out that, quote, long after the phenomenon died, Jerry Seinfeld is still putting in, pulling in $5 million a year from his show in syndication. And Charlie Sheen may be gone from the series, but Forbes reports that of 
as of 2014, he'll be getting 40% of all the profits from Two and a Half Men reruns. Money for nothing, as Dire Straits sang, he concludes. And I found that clo- that closer there to be a bit of a challenge to my free market sensibilities and sensitivities. But then I remembered that Dire Straits were being totally sarcastic when they sang your money for nothing and your chicks for free, you know? Like, yeah, right, catch you around sometime. So I'm hoping that's why Slow Tech made a point of mentioning as Dire Straits sang. Because, of course, while there are, are always a very few lucky individuals who rise to fame and fortune and stardom with relatively little effort, that's not true of the vast majority. The visible success that many of us perceive when we hear about deals like a million dollar per episode was usually quite invisibly preceded by a lot of time, effort, and a lot of failure on the part of those who eventually succeeded. And for the record, there's no such thing as earning too much money so long as it's actually earned through voluntary means and far as far away from criminals and governments as you can get. But that's a debate for another day. Hope you got a good bang for your listening time to Just Right Today. And be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Hello, uh, is this the Bruce Miller who wrote the season finale of Alphas? <laughs> yeah, oh, smashing. Yeah, you already sound nicer than the last Bruce Miller who suggested I have sexual relations with myself. <laughs> yeah, now, down to business. Um, your show ended on a cliffhanger. Could you please tell me how you plan to resolve it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, well, that all stinks. No wonder you got canceled. Bye. <laughs>